Welcome to the Fallon Forum, folks. This is Ed Fallon, broadcasting from the Cultural and Culinary Crossroads of America, a.k.a. Des Moines, Iowa. Hey, thanks to our sponsors, including Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Central Iowa's premier good food store. Gateway brings together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. Hey, a quick shout-out to the Des Moines Irish Session for, for providing our bumper music. Uh, later in the program, Kathy and I will be looking at some statistics and predictions relevant to food and gardening uh, in 2024. Uh, well, I'll also be giving you my own reflection on Christmas's past, present, and maybe in the future. And, uh, yeah, and then uh, Mark Klipschen joins us. Hello, Mark. Uh, welcome to the program. Howdy, howdy, Ed. Mark is an scripted program for us. <laughs> Hardly, yeah. Mark is an architect. He's got a he's got a business called Architecture by Synthesis. That business does also um, help promote this program, and that is much appreciated, Mark. Um, today we're going to talk uh, much more broadly about uh, matters of great concern. We're going to talk about food, transportation, energy, and the endless growth economy, which you and I both love dearly. But let's save that for later. Let's talk about food. And um, I, I just want to share... Um, Something you shared with me, you said, quote, when I hear them connect high animal products with fuel prices with the healthier people and planet, then I think we will have a chance. Wow. And, and mind you, I live. <laughs> Sorry, I had a lot of thoughts there. Um, of course, I live in the middle of the product of the animal products industry, if you will, in Iowa and I very much follow the, the, the follow the money, you know. Uh, we've had this conversation a little bit before. Iowa used to be very diverse, what, fifty years ago, sixty years not ago? Not that long ago. Not that long ago. It is becoming yeah. it is becoming more diverse again agriculturally, which is good in a small way, but it's it's encouraging. Everything that goes around comes around. Strangely, they would see small farms as and this is bizarre and upside down as being a threat to the economy because the big players are the big players. And that's, and I'm going to jump shark here a little bit. That's what all this, that's what our endless growth economy is all about. They're, you know, the 1%. We are all in essence worker bees for the 1%. Right. But they don't really produce anything though. Yeah. And again, food is a big part of the, the whole economic uh, ship, of course. But, but um, I think there, well, it's encouraging to me that there is a strong movement of people who um, want to eat better. And I think there's a lot of disagreement about what exactly that means. I know you are a passionate vegan and I am a passionate locavore. I consume anything that comes across my path. Uh, providing uh, part, part of my daughter is not that passionate. I call her a Shiite vegan. <laughs> who, who's this? My daughter is like, oh. oh, a truck passed by here a week ago with meat in it. We're not going to eat here. I was like, okay, honey, really? I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, There's a growing, not, I wouldn't call it a consensus, but a growing uh, a movement that believes that what we eat matters and where it comes from matters. And uh, I mean, I, I know more and more people who they, they have all kinds of different dietary stipulations. Some are vegans, some don't eat gluten, uh, some are. Uh, pescatarians some are what i like uh, what i hear them, them call themselves uh, flexitarians <laughs> you guys grow a lot of your food so you're probably not as hooked into this as as i would be i go to the grocery store i'm a power shopper my wife just goes out and buys whatever she wants 
I spend three or four hours every Saturday finding the best stuff for the least cost, which ironically is usually the case. Isn't the, quote, best stuff at the least cost usually also the worst quality? No. No? Because okay. when you have a bumper crop of blueberries or apples or whatever, they have to move that. Ah, and you okay. don't send your worst stuff. You send your best stuff because you want to sell it. Good point. And since you want to sell a whole lot of it, they lower the cost. Yeah. So, no, when things get scarce and low quality, they become far more expensive. It's like gold or diamonds. If they were on the beach in piles, they wouldn't be worth anything. <laughs> so where, where do you where do you go to shop for three to four hours? Oh, Ed, you're gonna hurt me on this one. <laughs> no, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just no, I'm gonna jump shot. I believe in competition. I'm a total capitalist. Just set my uh, niece a piece out of Atlas Shrugged on what money is all about because she's like, it's like, no, it's corporatism you're talking about, not capitalism. I'm going to get back to what I was going to get to a minute ago. <laughs> so, I, like I said, I do this every week. You're, you're not. You're, to, you're not. You're not I go to multiple stores. <laughs> and the, what I'm seeing is over the last five years, things like onions, potatoes, you know, real basic stuff. Yes, there's been inflation, but not at the rate the products are going up in cost. Potatoes are now a dollar a pound. Ten years ago, they were 20 cents a pound. That's an incredible amount of inflation. What's happened is the powers that be have determined that, no, people will buy these as staples regardless almost of what they cost because it's, quote, unquote, a given that they have to have them. Well, you get into luxury stuff, too. There's a six-pack of Coke is now six and a half, seven bucks for sugar water. Uh, once again, they're going to complain about gas at $4 a gallon. Uh, it's no equivalent there, but there's these built-in sort of mechanisms in people's minds of, I have to have this, so I'll pay it. Well, it doesn't, uh, onions don't cost that much. It doesn't cost that much more to grow them. And hopefully this will drive more local production. At some point they'll say, well, you know what? At this point, I may as well try growing it myself. Hmm. Fine. Call it a market correction. Okay. And that's happening. But uh, I'm not sure. I mean... The bottom line is uh, most of what happens in agriculture is subsidized. Let, let me what what happens in big agriculture. I mean the small producers, the uh, mom and pops uh, producing for local markets, the 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 new types of uh, farmers growing more niche market foods. There's pretty much little to no subsidies in in that effort. We did talk recently on this program about some USDA grants to help urban farms. But there's very little that go in the way of uh, public support for that type of agriculture. Uh, and there's huge amounts of support for the conventional stuff. And that's one reason, that's one reason, you know, potatoes used to cost so little. It's one reason Pringles potato chips, if you can even call them, you know, put the word potato in there. That's one reason they cost so little. They're heavily subsidized. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's an excellent example. I don't buy them. I kid you not, Ed, three years ago, can of Pringles, 99 cents. They're now $2.99. This stuff is wallpaper paste. Yeah. It's a, it is absolute garbage. So my daughter, well, excuse me, unless, of course, you like them. Uh, my daughter shops at the farmer's market every week, and it's open. Uh, I'm going to tell you this. A lot of the sellers work in cash uh, for whatever. Well, a lot of them are Amish and things. Well, good. Ca ca cash is a good way to go. Yeah, but it's, 
one more level of, I mean, okay, so the big farmers are being subsidized while the small farmers, in essence, being punished through do the taxes, and heaven forbid you want to be organic, that's $2,000 for certification. Hmm. don't need to be certified to monocrop with petroleum inputs. You know, and something is, in other words, you're, the government is picking the winners and losers. I wish there was a category of organic but not certified, something like that. Hmm. So, you know, you know, you know the people if you're local, you go, yeah, I know. Them. Right. So, you know, there's a uh, tied in with uh, with food, ag- food, uh, food agriculture, of course, is um, energy and more and more, especially in rural America. Uh, energy is a large component of what happens on farm ground. Uh, yeah, we, we see big uh, tracks of solar arrays going up you know, what used to be farm ground or, or in some cases uh, other types of uh, natural areas. But the the biggest change we see here in rural Iowa, in many parts of rural America, are windmills, wind farms. And, uh, and you know, I know that uh, you wrote to me recently that, uh, you know, every once in a while there's a power outage, but what if it really goes out? What if we really see uh, the, the the whole power grid collapse? What happens then? And, you know, that's that's a good question. We, we are so incredibly unprepared uh, I mean, your pipes are going to freeze in the middle of Iowa. Your houses, you better find a way to turn off the water to your house or you're going to, well, <laughs> who knows, maybe the water will go out too. What if the water and electrical went out? What if we had a Gaza Strip in the middle of Iowa? I mean, could, could just wrap your head around that. Who is ready? People don't have pantries. They don't keep extra supplies. I do. You do. Uh, yeah, so in essence, kind of we're going to be punished you know like, oh we're starving and hungry it's like well we're not because we're well, prepared there are, there are and, there, and, and grasshopper stuff yeah there are some models for uh for how to navigate a world without a functional power grid or a world without uh you know a, a decent water supply um think amish <laughs> and of course there are there are preppers out there the the uh the calamity preppers who you know tend to live in rural areas um, some of them very isolated rural areas and are stockpiling food and water and, of course, guns. Well, sure, you got to have your Velveeta cheese and your uh, Fruity Pebbles corn syrup, uh, you know, to put in your bunker oh, in the I, last no, thousand I'm, years. Mark, I, I'm going to guess that most preppers aren't going to have Fruity Pebbles in their <laughs> bunkers or or Pringles <laughs> even. It will last a thousand years. What it, more do you want? Ed? Well, it now, will, but so I'm will kidding, so will so will dried potatoes or you know dried other dried stable dried beans. You know, we we are building a, a root cellar into my daughter's house. She will be growing stuff. Uh, by the way, the the transpo part of that stuff comes from California. They're turning into a desert, and any yeah. water they have, they're pumping out of the ground like crazy. Yeah. We had that conversation too. They're they're little usually at groundwater to grow hay for horses and in, in Arabia because they can't grow it there. And growing yeah. lots of growing lots of almonds to make almond milk for you vegans. I I've often wondered how much almonds are actually in there, but that's a in, whole other. What topic. in the almond milk? What, yeah. What else is in there? But if not almonds, water. Okay. Well, milk, almond milk is not white, I don't think, so maybe they grind up chalk and put it in there, too. <laughs> oh, by the way, like I said, the stuff is from California, so when the power shuts off, the food right. shuts off. Sure. That is just so scary. I mean, I look at these cities, 
They remind me of a tire that's inflated with a pump, but it has a, has numerous holes in it. You know, it's like a water system. Hmm. There's leaks in it all the time. So even if you kind of shut it off, it's still going to run out. It, it's it's going to collapse. Yeah, it, it is not but sustainable. It's it, not resilient. It's not not just Cal. I mean, California is probably the best example of a region of the country that produces a lot of food that is struggling to find enough water to meet agricultural demands, industrial demands, personal demands. But um, I mean, here, here even in Iowa, a very lush, you know, comparatively lush and well endowed. Uh, uh, region with rainfall um, and aquifers, we, we're seeing those aquifers being drained. We're seeing the rainfall be inadequate for the uh, demands being placed on the system by increased growth and not just residential growth, but especially some of the industrial growth. Uh, so, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's a big problem. I, I know, as, as I was driving, I got to listen to music and news. And one of the stats I heard was 135 days in Iowa of drought conditions. Yeah, and the quarter of an inch of snow we got, or two inches, or whatever, I saw it on the ground when I got back. That's not going to do anything. Uh, yeah, just 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 the way things work, we'll probably have flooding in the spring. You know, I just just because it seems the way God works, the irony or whatever. And we might, of course, we're in an El Nino and things like that. But once again, we have no resilience, and they approve our crops, but that only works, quote unquote, monocrop crops gmos and all that but at some point that band-aid doesn't work i sure hope we can get back into like i said smaller farms i told you i made a shading device for my garden last summer sent it to you you're interested yeah i'm very i'm I'm very interested in that i think that's an innovation that is going to become more and more valuable tool I mean, I, it, it's going to be harder to replicate on a large scale, but uh, for home gardeners... Well, no, no, that's, yeah. that's the whole idea is you don't. It increased my production like three times. It decreased my water by three times. I, I was amazed. I yeah. just mind-blowing. I, I do this once, and I'm set for 50 years with this system. You know, one-time input, and away I go. You, and the garden, the gardening was rewarding again. Yeah. Yeah, well, we need to we need to talk more about that sometime. Hey, I've got to run to a short break here, Mark. Um, stick around with us if you would. I want to I want to get around to talking about transportation and the economy. Those uh, tie in very well together, and um, they're uh, I, I've got some I've got a personal gripe right now relevant to transportation, which I'll share with you when we come back from a short yeah, I had break. a 17 hour and a half drive. I understand <laughs> okay. great about transportation. Folks, uh, Mark Clipson with me today here on the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host. Uh, we're going to take a short break. Be back in just a minute. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant, well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. 
Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, folks. Hey, thanks to all of our monthly supporters, our partners, our sponsors, including Catholic Peace Ministry, an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese. CPM focuses on nuclear disarmament, the need for diplomacy in Ukraine, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, and ending the permanent war economy. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. Thanks also to Western Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Western and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry. All right, Mark Klipscher with me in the studio here today. And, uh, well, he's actually he's on the phone, but he, I feel like he's right here. Mark, uh, thanks, to, <laughs> thanks to the amazing uh, technology of phone service, right? So yes, yes. Uh, we want to talk about the economy, but let's let's start with a conversation about mobility. And if I may, I mean, let, let's trade war stories. Uh, you go first, because uh, you just get, you just got done with one. <laughs> As I said, well, first off, it started out with a plane ride. You had to be there at three o'clock in the morning. Well, I guess it was four o'clock. I left here at three o'clock so I could leave at six fifteen. Supposed to be there two hours early. Wow, where are all the other people for this flight? Maybe they don't buy that stuff. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> That's how you start your thing. Um, and the 17 and a half hour drive on the way back, as I told you, was extended quite a bit by GPS that was taking me via Kansas City from Pennsylvania rather than straight west on I-80 before I went, why am I on Highway 71? That's a north-south highway. Yeah, you might want to have that phone looked at. <laughs> no, that was, that was the one in the vehicle that I rented, oh. which was a horrible SUV. I had told him I wanted a small one, cargo van kind of thing, and this thing sucked gas like a alcoholic drinking vodka on holiday. And 17 and a half hours to think, not that I don't think about this stuff anyway, but, but the system we have right now is a evolution, let's be generous here, of horses and buggies. Back in the day, a horse and buggy might have gone, what, five, ten miles an hour, had a kerosene lantern, there weren't many of them. So, and your horse, by the way, could take you home if you happen to fall asleep, no problem. Now, I've got semis that are, you know, 30 tons, going 80 miles an hour in two different directions, uh, with bright, super bright headlights. So, for 17 and a half hours, even when they separate the lanes by 50 yards, which takes up an incredible amount of mile, land, the whole corridor being almost 100 yards wide. I mean, that's just insane amounts of land. I have to keep laser focused the entire time I drive. Oh, yeah. If I move my steering wheel out of the right place yep. or, or glance at something for a half a second, I could be dead and 20 other people. I, I was wired for hours after I got done. I could not shut my engine, my engine down. Coffee? Because there was just, uh, no, I would never do that. Because, no, no, that was just, 
you're running adrenaline. Adrenaline. It, it was it was mm. two days, what, three days after Christmas, excuse me, Thanksgiving. It was raining. It was traffic jam, semi traffic jams for hours. It was mm-hmm. just like, wow. And now, like I said, so even when the, the things aren't coming straight at me, a semi next to me doesn't make me feel any safer either. I watched several times when semis and or cars or whatever went to change lanes. There was a vehicle in that lane already. And it was only through hypervigilance that there was not a catastrophic accident in front of me. You know, for 17 hours, 17 and a half hours. Yeah, how, how did you sit for that long? How did I sit through that? Yeah, uh, that's a long time to be on your on your derriere. Luckily, these seats were a whole lot more comfortable than my regular car. Uh, but once again, just watching the gas gauge go down. And like I said, the GPS probably took me another three to four hours out of my way. Nothing like anger to keep you awake, I guess. It's just, you have got to be kidding me. This is progress in technology. Yeah. And then I kept thinking back to my, my system where I would be asleep the thing would be up off the ground. By your system, you mean high-speed rail? Yes, but not on the ground. Suspended above the ground, so there's nothing on the ground. So isn't I that isn't that a lot more expensive? Not by a long shot. Just think about what I'm going to get rid of. I don't need that hundred-yard wide corridor now i can i could have crops planted in that heaven forbid in the city now our biggest expense even above i believe transportation is healthcare crisis because i'm driving what if what if riding my bike five miles i didn't i i'm sorry i'm not going to ride a bike in des moines or ames i don't care how many green stencils are on the ground telling me it's a bike route <laughs> yeah no no it's it's not that, i mean i i I've done it several times. It's really not what you want to do. No, uh, it's taking your life in your hands. If everything was well, up I, off the ground, it's also I depending. When it's ten degrees out, you're really not inclined to bike to Des Moines to, even if there is a south wind. <laughs> you know, it's just, if 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 you look at countries that are have have a culture of that, it uh, it's it's whatever you're set up for. Um, New York City, I would do that. I, I saw a guy, by the way, night before last, saw a guy on a motorcycle. It was <laughs> 10 degrees out. He was in a, a moon suit, a marshmallow suit, whatever you want to call it. He's out driving his motorcycle because that's what he had to drive. And again, if I wasn't worried about being in the ditch after having hit right. by a car because someone was looking at his GPS, I would be more than happy to entertain that. It's not yeah. even on the table right now. So, I mean... So, I went through city after city after city. Billions, billions, billions of dollars in infrastructure. All powered by cars, tires, uh, maintained with salt and trucks and cops and lights <laughs> and just everything about it. it was so unnatural. Roadkill all over the place. Yeah. It was, it, was, it was not right and, not the finest hour yeah in any way shape or form and, and, I, and I and I agree I uh, I just and in my own just real briefly my my own uh, experience hasn't happened yet but I, I need to visit uh, my my daughter in um, in Oregon and I, I compared driving bus train plane plane is the cheapest I really don't like to fly 
but plane is the cheapest. Driving, driving at my speed, you know, 600 miles a day, would take three days to get there. The train takes three days to get there, uh, and that's, all, that's almost the same. That's, that's pretty much the same as the, as the plane. You pay as much for a train as you do a plane. If you want the sleeper car, you pay about seven times as much. <laughs> think about this. So, and I'm going to use the, I don't invest in it or anything like that, Tesla, just because it's the name. So I have this Tesla. It's an EV. Okay, it's got these really heavy batteries in it. It's got tires. I have to be able to see out of the windshield. Take that same Tesla, get rid of the batteries, get rid of the tires, turn the thing upside down. By the way, now I've got a, just for fun, plastic shell with structure foam in it. All my electricity is in the grid. I have a small battery, so maybe I can roll myself. If the system went down, whatever, it's hooked up to windmills solar arrays, that kind of stuff. I have doodly squat, rolling resistance. The thing now weighs 600 pounds, not 3,000 or 4,000 pounds. Okay, so, so the, but the big question mark is how do you get from our current system, which neither you nor I like, but lots of people depend on for transportation and for jobs, how do we get from the current system to the one we'd like to see that's more focused on rail? You would start out with a transition. So I would take my... Prius or whatever, and I would have a rack installed on top of it. And by the way, if you're living out in the country or the middle of nowhere, that's the kind of transitional vehicle you're going to have anyway. A pickup truck, yeah, it's going to cost more. By the way, they already do anyway. But that gives me incentive not to sprawl out in the middle of nowhere. So if I'm going to live out in the middle of nowhere, I'm going to pay extra. Cool. But you're saying so you're you're you're, 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 speak, you're speaking like first person singular, but we're talking about vast numbers of people yes. organized yes. under local governments, county governments, city governments, state governments, national governments. Just, just, just like, and then this is a little bit out there, but you can literally make a car into a plane. They've seen it before. So now I'm going to transition from this to that. While this is happening, I'm going to have a set of rails on the top of it. That's going to take me where I wanted to go. And then the next vehicle I'm going to buy, I'm not going to have that anymore. I'm just going to be on the right. top. But how, all the park, all the parking is now going to be on top of buildings, right. uh, underground garages, whatever. There's not going to be any vehicles on the street. The very the the most incredible success of this system would be that it gets used less and less and less. Right, but Mark, no, and no, it, it, become it, more and more used to it. It's like, oh my god. Here in yeah, Polk County, here in Polk County, just uh, just last month. 80% of the voters voted to support a $350 million bond to expand the Des Moines Airport. But then, you know, along with that, oh, you've got okay. you've got all, you know, all those continued, quote, investments in highways, expanding them, repairing them, widening them. And, uh, and, and how, do you, how do you make that? I mean, I like what you're talking about. How do you physically, how do you structurally, politically, uh, you know, how do you make that shift? Especially, you know, it's not just governments that are, that are all in favor of doing what we're doing and have been doing. It's the people. I mean, 80% of Polk County residents voted for a bigger airport. How do you make because, that shift? Because they had no alternative. You would not need that with this. So me, I'm going to Baltimore, I went to visit my sister. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Rather than getting to the airport at 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm 8 o'clock in the morning or 6, whatever, because I'm going to sleep in the car the whole way. I'm going to go sister's house. I'm going to hop out. I'm going to have a cup of coffee. I'm going to watch the news, work on my computer. So rather than spending that time driving or flying, I'm going to be in my vehicle when I get there. I don't have to rent a car. I don't have to be at the airport, which I hate. I don't have to be at the airport early. 
I don't have to do When I get there, I'm going to, well, I'm just going to say, go to my sister's house. Let's get to my sister's door. And I'm going to hop out. I'm going to go park. Where's your car? I don't know. Why would I care? It's none of my business. <laughs> now my car serves me rather than me being my car, right. which is insane. And that's that's a real that's a that, that, that's a really good segue to the other the other angle of this discussion about the economy. It's an economy oh. that uh, that doesn't really serve us anymore, and there's a growing awareness of that. Um, the, even the New York Times, I call the the voice piece of the uh, of the new growth economy of the um, the um, <laughs> endless, growth, endless economy. growth economy, talked about quote a new economics, and you know they quoted uh, they quoted um, a line from uh, a Roosevelt Institute uh, report. The report called for higher taxes on the rich, a higher minimum wage, more regulation of Wall Street, more support for labor unions, and more aggressive anti-enforcement, or antitrust enforcement, and here's the kicker, more government investment and economic growth. <laughs> yes. So right. what, what are all those people going to do that we, they've lost their jobs because of this automated transportation system? Oh, we don't need to build the roads. We don't have the gas station. We don't have the quick shop. I mean, I love those things. Make no mistake. Roller dog, right on, man. Good stuff. I went into one of these quick shops. I couldn't find anything to eat in the entire place. Nothing. Well, that, you, you, should, know, you should have grabbed a, bed, paving, a box of Pringles. <laughs> paving, bright lights, gasoline, and crappy food. Okay, so I've got rid of all that. Well, those people, well remember that local farm thing, the economy we used to have 70 years ago that wasn't subsidized mm -hmm. gosh that would be neat homesteads you know people growing their own food maybe a community with a family that sees each other crazy talk i know you talk about expense what we have now is so expensive because our economy is based on consumption and waste that's how it works so i'm mm -hmm. saying this is how we get rid of all this waste and consumption oh my goodness it'll wreck the economy well, it can't grow forever. We all no. know that a five-year-old can figure out that math. Yeah, but they uh, still. So but, are we going to wait till it completely collapses? Yeah, we... that may be what happens. I mean, because you, oh, the, yeah. the power elite still talk about the 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 it's the you grow or you die. That's the maxim. The the economy has to continue to grow. Yeah. So I mean, it will not end with it will not end with a bang. It'll end with a whipper, hopefully. But this and, is. A, People go back to the way it was when people were happy. But oh, this is really the, 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 the recognition by the New York Times that uh, that something needs to change and is changing is fascinating to me. And also that, yes. uh, I mean, uh, there's one more, one more observation in the Times article I want to share with you and get your take on. Uh, Donald Trump also played a crucial role in this economic shift. He won the Republican nomination in 2016 while defending Social Security and Medicare and criticizing free trade and high, immigra high immigration two pillars of neoliberalism. I mean, you know, you don't get, you don't see that in Republican candidates every day, defending Social Security and Medicare. And certainly you don't see Republican candidates or even most Democratic candidates criticizing, quote, free trade um, and, you know, supporting high immigration. I mean, it's just... Uh, uh, Isn't the new Speaker of the House about totally killing that? And if Trump gets in, he's a total Johnson... Johnson's yeah, I mean, so, Trump fan, fans of Trump, uh, but, vice versa. I don't know what I don't know what you think, but to me, it says that um, Donald Trump is right just by accident. But what he's right, what he's doing is he's tapping into, into, it concerns that people have about about the um, you know the endless growth economy, all, all, you know, and, and again, it's 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 um. It's uh, it's hard to make that argument politically because of the pushback against the mainstream, you know, the the, the main dialogue. But uh, 
I think that's one reason well, Trump has been successful. He's been uh, able to make that case. He's a populist. Yes. And he, he will go to the base instincts of anybody to serve his purpose. Right. And when that purpose changes or the vehicle runs out of gas, we'll jump to the next one. That's where the and narcissist part comes in, yes. As you watched him throw so many people underneath the bus, he's not about innovation, really, or anything else. It's about the God King Trump and whatever it takes. Um, and then there's this thing called karma, which is always fun to watch. <laughs> but the question is, who's getting what karma? Seems like he's getting his, but funny things happen in reality. The weirdest things happen. I wouldn't believe any of this if I read a book about it. Yeah. Uh, so, so the growth economy, and all that, it's, we are not happy. We are not healthy. We are not happy. We are heading into a disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, they keep saying, well, that would be a sacrifice. That would be a compromise. We are living the sacrifice. We are living the compromise. And every day they're asking a little bit more. Yeah. Give more to the rich. Give more to the rich. Because <laughs> then things will be better. Yeah. Gee, that's not Well, Mark, that's a, that's a really good note to wrap it up on because i got to run sure. to a break. Um, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Mark, uh, Mark Klipschen, folks, uh, talking with him today about uh, – the big picture of things economic-wise and related issues. Hey, got to take a short break. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to share with you um, my recollections of Christmas, past and present. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Years ago, Chef George Fromaro envisioned a new market to house all his favorite foods under one roof in the heart of Des Moines. From that vision, Gateway Market was born. Over the years, Gateway has become Central Iowa's premier good food store bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. Gateway's welcoming environment in downtown's Sherman Hill neighborhood encourages discovery and honors the simple pleasures of the table. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, experience the good food difference at Gateway Marketing Cafe. Catholic Peace Ministry was founded in 1981 to work for peace and justice. It's an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese and is guided by an ecumenical board representing many faith traditions. CPM focuses on the urgency of nuclear disarmament and the need for diplomacy in Ukraine. CPM also provides an educational forum about the permanent war economy, which must be challenged if we are to achieve lasting peace and justice. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to our partners and sponsors, including Architecture by Synthesis. The owner, Mark Klipsham, asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has cared for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, so Christmas, folks, uh, it's coming up, yeah. Or if you are, you know, engrossed in the commercial aspects of it, it's been happening for several weeks now. You know, I, I, I guess thought I, I wanted to reflect a little bit on Christmas in my life. Uh, as a kid, it was pretty standard. You know, we, um, we got gifts, 
and Santa brought them. And they're at some age fairly young. I decided this doesn't make sense, and I wanted to figure out what was going on. And I just I had all these theories that maybe it was organized by the town. Um, maybe Santa had all these little uh, subsidiaries that were operating the, the system for him. I didn't know. But I decided, um, I realized maybe my parents were in on it. So I scoped the house, top to bottom, and I finally found buried in a closet downstairs in the basement all the presents marked from Santa to Eddie or Billy or Larry. And I realized, aha, I'm, I'm in on it now. I mean, I was, you know, some kids, they find out what's going on and they are just crestfallen. I was like, yeah, I figured it out. I exposed the big cheat <laughs> anyway. So I was very happy with myself. Um, you know, and the, 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 the present part, of course, that was fun at Christmas as a kid. But um, it didn't matter that much to me as much as uh, I, what I really enjoyed was walking down to my grandparents' house about a mile away. And no, we didn't go through the river and or over the river and through the woods, but it was a nice walk. And um, every year for both Thanksgiving and Christmas, every single year, both of those meals were identical. And my grandpa did all the cooking. And then he led the charge in overeating. And, and he would overeat so badly that I remember him sitting on the couch um, looking like he was going to die. <laughs> it was it was kind of scary, actually. One year, my mom and I got the idea, we're going to introduce a new thing to Christmas dinner. We're going to make a salad. And we brought that to the uh, Thanksgiving, uh, or I, mean, I think it might have been a Christmas dinner. Brought that to Christmas dinner, and Grandpa looked at that and said, that GD rabbit food, get that out of here. <laughs> he, was, he called it rabbit food and, and a curse word. And, um, but we left it. The salad stayed, and Christmas was never the same after that. So uh, when my kids were growing up, you know me, I'm, I'm kind of dogmatic about certain things. And, uh, and me and my wife agreed that, you know, we should try to have a Christmas that doesn't involve lots of gifts. So we ended up doing a stocking thing. And uh, we would have a, we turned our Norfolk Island pine into the Christmas tree. Mysteriously, one year right after Christmas, it died. I don't, that might have been a coincidence. I'm not sure. But we would, uh, we built this uh, makeshift log Log, uh, log, uh, Lincoln log manger around the Christmas tree. Had a little baby Jesus in there, and then a bunch of dinosaurs uh, <laughs> from another different, another set of toys that one of my kids had. And uh, it was, a, it was always a fun time, you know. Um, one year, one year, I remember I had. Uh, it was a year when I had become very active in my neighborhood, and there's no better way to uh, to make enemies than to be active in your neighborhood. Sure, you make a lot of friends as well, and um, but I, I just uh, ticked off a lot of people. I mean, one reason was I was supporting building affordable housing across the street from us, and there were a bunch of neighbors who were just dead set against it. So I remember I'm um, trying to make uh, amends to people. I baked like a, a dozen loaves of French bread, and I brought each one of the people who I'd been in conflict with and that was about 10 people. <laughs> I brought each of them a loaf of bread. And they were all, it, it really helped mend fences, except with one person. Um, she ended up bringing it back and leaving it at my door. <laughs> but that story ended as well as, well, well also, because in the future, she and I ended up, um, you know, becoming, you know, co-workers in terms of addressing other problems we wanted to fix. So that was, a, in some ways, a, a very... Um, appropriate Christmas in terms of bringing peace. So there was also the year, uh, again, my kids were, were teenagers at this point, and we, um, 
you know, I, I'm always very passionate about buying from locally owned businesses. And so uh, I convinced the family, I'm not sure how I did this, but I convinced the family that between Thanksgiving and Christmas, we would only buy whatever we needed, whether it was Christmas related or just normal expenses. We would only buy what we needed from locally owned businesses. And I remember my daughter having a quote in the paper that was uh, expressing her angst over not being able to go to the mall. <laughs> But she was still excited about giving it a shot, and we did. And you know what? It's possible. It, just, it takes a lot more work because the advertisements aren't out there and the convenience isn't out there. And sometimes there's more cost involved. But uh, we were able to do everything we needed to do, food, supplies, and Christmas stuff, um, just by going to locally owned businesses. You know, more recently, um, my uh, Christmas celebrations in the last uh, 10 years or so have been going down to Florida not because I need to get away from Iowa for the winter. I love Iowa winters. They've been going down to Florida where my son and his wife and now three grandkids live and um, celebrating Christmas on the beach or <laughs> at least uh, in a very warm place. And uh, oftentimes instead of turkey, which is what, again, I grew up with eating for Thanksgiving dinner, it's uh, mahi-mahi or lobster. Uh, <laughs> spineless lobsters, apparently. Uh, those are the those are the lobsters of preference in uh, in the warm South Atlantic, or southern parts of the southern portion of the North Atlantic. There we go. But um, I, I just have some real fond memories of that as too. You know, bicycling on the beach and um, and uh, just being you know with family in that environment. Very very different than walking through cold weather to my grandparents' house when I was a kid. So uh, some of the uh, traditions that I really value at Christmas time. Um, watching, uh, going to see A Christmas Carol. And for years, I'd done that. Uh, for years, uh, Richard Maynard, uh, a local wizard here, has uh, starred as Scrooge. And um, I tease him that he's been typecast, but of course, he's actually a really, really nice guy. But did a fantastic job as Scrooge. Um, he has uh, just retired this year from that role. But interestingly, um, my niece will be starring as Tiny Tim. So I'm really excited to go see a new generation take a lead role in A Christmas Carol. I also really enjoy going to uh, the open sing-along of the Messiah. Uh, that, is, that is one heck of a wonderful piece of music. And uh, of course, it's divided into two sections, the Easter portion and the Christmas portion. But of course, you can't ever sing the Messiah, any portion of it, without including the Hallelujah Chorus. So even though that's an Easter, Easter um, choral work, it's always worked into the Christmas presentation of the Messiah. And, you know, I, um, I'm not a great singer. I'm kind of a baritone lost in between tenor land and bass land, but closer to bass. Bass is safer for me. So I would sing the bass part. Um, and even though it's a bass part, it's got some high notes, and I would usually come home and not be able to talk much for the rest of the day. But enjoy doing that. Uh, more singing. Uh, we, uh, Kathy and I, participate in the Alliance Francaise, it's a local French group. Actually, there are, there are chapters of the Alliance all over the country. But uh, one thing the Alliance Francaise does here in the Des Moines Metro is a French caroling sing-along uh, in one of the suburbs, uh, West Des Moines. And it's, um, it's a fun time. We walk from business to business singing French Christmas carols or sometimes tunes like Jingle Bells in French. Uh, a good time. And uh, I really enjoyed that. And uh, the other musical thing that I appreciate about Christmas is just taking my very large book of Christmas songs and just playing through them, um, just playing through them on the piano 
Or if we've got a friend around or two who can sing and wants to do that, uh, open the book and just kind of plow through whatever whatever uh, selections we wanna we wanna do. Um, to me, those are you know I you'll you'll notice missing from my idea of celebrating Christmas is almost any mention of shopping. Uh, just not a fan. I, I don't I don't see that as consistent with the spiritual generation and that how how the whole thing got started. Um, I know I know how the shopping part got started. It was a way to you know help boost the bottom line for businesses, and I certainly appreciate it when my friends who are in the small business universe, um, you know, count on Christmas sales to make uh, make ends meet. Um, I have friends who are uh, potters and. Uh, there are two places in the year, two calendar points in the year where they have to do well or they don't make ends meet. And one of those is Christmas. The other is the Iowa State Fair. Um, <laughs> but to me, it's just, I just, uh, it, it goes against um, the grain of who I am. I don't begrudge people who get involved in that. It's just not, uh, it's just not my shtick. The one last thing I'd say about um, Christmas past and present is... Um, this goes way back uh, when I was a kid. There were two TV shows. And again, I don't, Kathy and I do not own a TV, but uh, you can still find these things in various places. Uh, maybe your local bar or <laughs> more likely online on your computer. But uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the Grinch. I just love those. And I can't remember who I was fighting with the other day about Rudolph, and they had nothing but bad things to say about it. Um, oh, it was my friend who sings, who refused to sing that song with me on the piano. But yeah, Rudolph and the Grinch. Love those two Christmas specials. And I know there are a whole bunch of other ones, and some of them are, some of them are also a lot of fun. But those are the two that really hit a nerve with me. So uh, what comes next? I mean, you know, this year uh, we're going down to Florida again, keeping that tradition alive a little bit early, a little before Christmas to time it better with my, my son's break. Uh, we'll probably be doing something Christmassy with uh, Kathy's family, and who knows what else. But I think about Christmas in the new climate era, and we're getting a taste of uh, where we are going with that. Again, the new climate era is something off in the future, something we're heading toward. But as we head toward it, we see the changes. Uh, one thing we'll be talking about on this program is the new USDA uh, hardiness zone maps, a big chunk of the country is now in a different growing zone. And so that, of course, has impacts uh, beyond the growing season. And one thing we've noticed here in central Iowa this year, first snow just happened on um, the uh, 25th of November. That is incredibly late for a first snowfall. And it was a beautiful snowfall. Very happy to have it. But usually that happens in October or maybe early November. But now November 25th, first snow. And even still, now the temps are going up to the 40s and maybe even hitting 50. And, uh, you know, I mean, the whole, the Bing Crosby song, White Christmas, um, may be indeed very nostalgic and oh, it's, already, it's already certainly um, meaningless in a lot, of, a lot of the more southern parts of the country. But even in the northern climes, a white Christmas may be a thing mostly of the past. We'll see. How will we adapt? I'm not sure. My two favorite Christmas songs, Oh Holy Night and Silent Night, I'm going to close it out by talking about Silent Night. Silent Night, um, you know, that was written back in 1816. It's a fairly, in terms of the, the length, the, the, some of these songs go way, way back. That one was written in 1816. An Austrian priest by the name of uh, Father Joseph Moore wrote the um, lyrics. 
And it is believed that he wrote them in response to the peace that had come after the horrible wars fought by Napoleon. And I'll talk a little bit more about the movie Napoleon in a second. But the, the piece was first performed in 1818 at St. Nicholas Church in Oberndorf, Austria. And uh, Father Moore played, played it on the guitar, which is interesting. And it was sung by the organist, Franz Gruber, who was also the guy who wrote the melody. So Moore wrote the words, Gruber the melody, Gruber the organist didn't play it on the organist, organ. Moore played it on the guitar. So why is that? Well, it was performed on guitar because the river next to the church flooded and damaged the organ. And eventually that river destroyed the church and they had to rebuild it. Um, and of course, Silent Night, originally called Stille Nacht, um, since, that was the first performance, 1818, since has been translated into 300 languages. And no, the original language was not King James English, sorry. It was German. Um, and I, we have actually, I've, I've performed it in Irish. I don't sing the Irish part. I play the classical guitar part. Because, again, that's, that's the cool thing about this piece. You would, it would normally be played on an organ because of the flood. It got played on the guitar. And it is really a beautiful tune on the guitar. So uh, all sorts of great historical moments relevant to Silent Night, including 1914, when it was sung on the battlefield during World War I, in what came to be known as the Christmas Eve Truce. That's when you know German, French, and British soldiers who were killing each other stopped fighting for three days. Here's from Wikipedia. The troops, quote, they would mingle and exchange food and souvenirs. Uh, there were joint burial ceremonies and prisoner swaps. While several meetings ended in caroling, men played games of football with one another. And yet the following year, a few units arranged ceasefires, but the truces were not nearly as widespread as in 1914. And this was, in part, due to strongly worded orders from commanders prohibiting truces. You know, and this, that kind of sums it up for me. Uh, when you get to know somebody, you really don't want to kill them. When you played football with somebody, it's really kind of hard to draw a gun and you know, get them in your target. When you've sung Silent Night with somebody, do you really want to go out and kill them? You know, and this is why I, I have no interest in seeing the movie Napoleon. I'm, I'm done with madmen who just have the finesse to grab power and abuse it and use that power to kill people. I'm, I'm, I'm really sick of it. <laughs> I mean, I, I would guess most of us probably are. And so, you know, I, I reflect back on when I was 12. The movie uh, Patton about General George Patton had just come out. And my dad, he wanted to see it. And he... Uh, uh, he, my dad was sure I was going to be in the military because he was, and I had nice straight shoulders, and that matters, I guess. So we went to um, watch Patton. And, um, you know, part of the reason Patton came out was the Vietnam War was growing more and more unpopular. And uh, it was part of the propaganda effort to shore up support for the, uh, for the Vietnam War. And uh, as I saw it, the film, you know, the film was, it depicts the glories of armed combat. Uh, of course, uh, Patton's belligerence was impossible to conceal. And I remember my dad coming away praising a brilliant military strategist. And I came away feeling like I had just watched a demented madman orchestrate three hours of carnage and slaughter. So again, you know, Silent Night, possibly the most powerful Christmas memory for me because it is, a tr it is truly a memory, uh, a, a moment of, of peace, uh, 
It is in response, in part, to the horrors of war after Napoleon. And it is still sung today. And again, all these stories of, uh, of when it has, you know, but it kind of bubbled up in the midst of conflict as a reminder that, you know, we're all really human beings who want and need the same things and shouldn't be killing each other. Anyway, that's, that's my Christmas message for you folks. I'm uh, going to take a short break. Um, when we come back, um, Kathy Burns is going to join me. And uh, we're going to be talking about garden statistics from the past year and what that means in 2024. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. Hey, Kathy Burns, welcome to the program. We've got uh, we've got we've got a review of gardening statistics and some predictions. Yeah, I, I found some gardening statistics and facts on GardenPals.com. A lot of those have to do with uh, this year in general or or long, longitudinally for years. So there, there were 10 interesting facts. We're going to talk about a couple of them. Yeah, and some of them have to do with the COVID pandemic. That's right. What's what's the COVID pandemic one? Well, the uh, that it uh, apparently the COVID pandemic led to the creation of 18.3 million new gardeners. And a lot of them were young people. Millennials yeah. in particular. Yeah. yeah. Um, the second one was 42% of gardeners spent more time gardening during the COVID pandemic. So not only were there more, but yeah. people spent more time doing it, which is cool. The third item on this list is a global online sales of gardening goods doubled during the COVID pandemic. Which is kind of yeah. good and kind of maybe not. I mean, well, yeah, I think it's good. I too, just too bad people didn't already. Too have bad. It, too bad it didn't stick. You know. Yeah. Um, the Completely. fourth uh, fourth fact is that um, the fifty five percent of American households engage in gardening activities, and uh, that is also interesting in conjunction with another another one that you're going to talk about, Ed. So, yeah, the, the, again, millennials now make up 29% of gardener demographics. So it looks like mm -hmm. some of this, some of what happened in COVID has stuck. Right. Yeah. Right. 
Um, millennials have an increasing interest in cannabis cultivation. <laughs> surprise, surprise. And it's not just millennials. <laughs> these uh, these populations were broken down uh, in a you know further and, uh, and you know it's, it's just mostly in the millennials. And it's finally legal in a lot of places. As you it know. should be. Yeah. It should be. So another fact too: American adults spend. Forty-eight billion a year on lawn and gardening equipment annually. Forty-eight billion. I'm guessing some of that is stuff that we would never think of spending money on, like a big lawnmower and a leaf blower. A leaf blower, right? <laughs> you know, which, right. But uh, and what we, you know, we we don't spend that much with our effort. We 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 repurpose a lot of we it. Rep- I hope more people will will yeah. keep repurposing. Um, and uh, another stat is that the average garden yields six hundred dollars. Of produce in a year. It's pretty good. Uh, that is pretty good. Mm. So, I mean, I think we ours is probably a bigger yield, yeah. but we, we well. spend a little more time. 35% of U.S. households grow vegetables, fruits, and other food. So that was interesting to me compared to the 55% of Americans that engage in gardening activities. So not everybody mm. who's, quote, gardening right. uh, is growing food. More than half. Uh, but yeah. they're growing things, food for the soul, maybe, the pretty things. Yeah, and then uh, this is my favorite one. Yes. Children involved in growing vegetables are more willing to eat them. That is so true in my experience and so cool. And something that we see with uh, with your grandkids, with my grandkids, with kids who just wander by and wonder yeah. what's going on. So predictions, you know, COVID helped uh, the gardening movement. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, of course, there's a little We don't want to do that again. No, no, we, we don't. <laughs> but uh, but I think, I think there's there are plenty of reasons why... It, there's going to be continued interest in uh, in growing one's own food. And people are more serious about making sure the food is available when they need it because yeah. we've had a lot of disruption. Well, Kathy, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, folks. Uh, thanks to my guest today, Mark Klipsham, and to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, and Western Optometry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Catholic Peace Ministry, Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility, Bold Iowa, and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And thanks to the uh, Des Moines Irish Session for providing the music for this program, and for Michael Chapdelaine for the classical guitar version of Silent Night. 